Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I felt like I tried everything, prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, waiting, begging, you name it. Plus, I tried a few less productive approaches. And after two decades of continuing to grieve, it occurred to me that maybe I'd set the wrong goal. Instead of trying to feel better by filling those painful voids, I have learned that building a life around them is a much more attainable target. Speaking openly about my experience of grief and helping to support others to do the same serve as regular reminders that we are not alone. When we allow all the parts of us to have an expression of life, including the painful ones, we may just feel more human and less like robots on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a mutually compassionate environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So thanks for joining this episode of The Healing Path. Today I'm chatting about a post called Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And as a note to the reader, don't be surprised if you learn something new about me today. Our 24-year-old adult son, Zach, lives at home. He requires full and constant supervision, medical care, and help with his activities of daily living. As challenging as his care may be, there are a few upsides to being the parent of an adult kiddo like Zachary. One of them is that as long as he is with a trusted caregiver and or one of us, we know he's safe. This is not the case for the parents of Zach's typically developing peer counterparts, and I don't envy their sleepless nights. This is on my mind because I was chatting with a friend recently who shared her dilemma about one of her friend's teenagers. This teenager confided something concerning to my friend, and she wanted to somehow alert that person's parents. Her dilemma was that she didn't want to violate the trust of this young woman, but she sensed there may be some danger looming and couldn't keep that possibility to herself. There is no right way to handle this type of challenge, but we talked through it well enough to come up with a reasonable set of next steps, and we're keeping our fingers crossed. But this experience, it brought up some old baggage for me, and I'm sharing it here to drive home a critical point for anyone in a care or responsibility role with a young person, or really anyone, but especially young people. Unless we're taught otherwise, young people generally operate under the policy of don't ask and don't tell. By that, I mean lying by omission is not a crime many young people worry about. As long as they answer the questions coming from the adult cohort, they feel like they're being honest. Perhaps you've noticed this in your own household with a teen or any family member. We ask a teenager how their day was, and they confirm it was, well, fine. 
We ask a student about school and we get one word answers. I have first experience, firsthand experience with this, both as the adult doing the asking and also long, long ago as the young person being asked. As I think back over it, there were many times that I was vulnerable growing up. First, as a young girl, then as a teenager, and eventually a young woman. If I decide to write about ways that I've been personally exploited as a human being over my lifetime, that will be a post for another day. But for this conversation, what I will share is that when asked how my day was as a schoolgirl, I probably too gave one word answers. But no one ever asked me if the following thing happened specifically, and I never told a soul. I sure wish I had, but like many people, I was too scared and way too embarrassed. As a fifth grader, I attended an elementary school across town with a couple of my peer neighbors. We took the school buses to this other district so we could enroll in their gifted and talented program. This was my second year at the school, and I distinctly recall my classroom was in the basement. I could smell the mishmash of cafeteria food during most hours of the school day because it too was in the basement. We had a few rows of desks along a very narrow room. My desk was on the far right, two or three back from the front. As I sat at my desk, on my right side was a concrete wall, and on my left side were the other desks lined up. Opposite the front of the line desks, in what would be considered, I guess, the back of the room, and behind the students, was the teacher's desk. I guess she was expected to monitor everything going on from the back of the group. But that's not what happened. I heard some kids giggling behind me when I heard a voice say, Hey, Lisa. (laughs) I looked to my left, and there in front of my face was the bare naked genitalia of a male student who had dropped his pants and started laughing. I don't actually remember what my reaction was, other than turning beet red and staring at whatever I pretended to be focused on. The ruckus quieted down for those who'd seen this and been entertained. And the boy, who wasn't exactly a fifth grader to the best of my recollection, pulled up his trousers and left me alone. I was mortified. When I went home that evening, and for all of the evenings, for the rest of my childhood, and now into my 50s, I never told my parents, teachers, Friends, not a soul until today. Many of us learn at an early age to keep our mouths shut. Girls and women, especially, generally understand that our word is probably not the last one. And if anything, we probably asked for, quote unquote, whatever trouble may have found us. I am sharing this today because the way we learn not to trust ourselves is an incredibly dangerous norm, especially for young people. Personally, and going back to this incident, I'm not arguing that I did or did not experience trauma in that situation. But suffice it to say, the whole thing 
sure left a mark on my 11-year-old self. Not sure I can really put it into words. But what I am arguing and yelling as loudly as I can is that kids, boys and girls, don't volunteer things like, quote, school was good, except for that one kid who put his naked penis in my face and laughed at me. Kids just say school was good and leave it at that, like I did for 40 years. This specific incident aside, there's a good chance that situations like these reinforce the idea that we should keep things to ourselves. It happened so fast, and on the face of it, no one was hurt. So better to stay under the radar. The problem is that kids and adults can make a lifestyle out of trying not to be seen. We can become so accustomed to glossing over our own experiences, especially the shocking and disturbing ones, that we learn to volunteer as little information as possible. And in doing so, we embody the essence of the don't ask, don't tell spirit. It is in this darkness, around the approach, that secrets live, grow, and destroy the confidence and safety of our children. Let's get a little more creative by asking questions like, what's the best thing that happened to you since I saw you this morning? Or what was the best or worst part of your day? Did anyone make you feel uncomfortable today? Did anyone laugh at you today? What happened today that might have been a surprise that you weren't expecting? Did you feel safe in your own skin today? Did you help anyone that needed it? If we're asking these questions on a daily basis, we might just normalize the idea that hard things can and do happen. And when they do, we don't have to worry about don't ask, don't tell. Because we're already in the habit of asking our children feeling questions about their experience and not specifics on what someone did or getting someone in trouble. We don't leave them open to one-word answers, and we don't leave them open to lying by by omission. Because the biggest trouble of all is when young people who try to stay invisible become adult people and don't feel seen. And when that happens, the door opens wide for far worse than a school kid prank. And even those leave a mark. Please talk to our young people. Ask questions about how they feel instead of about their day. If you hear something alarming, talk with a trusted guide who can help you walk through the best way to protect that child and also maintain their trust. Safety and trust are jeopardized when we stop talking. And there is nothing gifted and talented about that. So thanks again for joining this episode of the Healing Path podcast. And yeah, I mean, I feel like this issue of trust and violating trust, particularly when safety is involved, it's just tricky. Um, We want our young people to trust us. And at the same time, we know better than they do. And their parents generally also (laughs) know better than they do. 
So it can get um, a little bit complex. And I love this idea of, um, I don't like what happened in the fifth grade, but I love the idea of um, the don't ask, don't tell in this concept of lying by omission. This comes up all the time in, in um, professional settings too. It's not just a social thing. But the idea is if someone asks a question, as long as you're answering that question, are you being honest? If you don't share relevant details, for example, if I get asked, you know, how was my drive home? And I say it was fine, but then later find out that I got pulled over for a speeding ticket. Was I being honest? <laughs> I guess. Um, but the bigger the bigger picture is that we want our young people, we want all people, but especially young people to feel that there's an adult that they can go to because obviously with so many terrible human crimes going on in the world, we need to be able to react to things before they blow out of control. And I think that um, because we miss some of these details and, and we're not asking feeling questions, we're asking, how was your day? How was school? How was class? How was math? How was gym? How was your presentation? We're not asking, how are you? How did you feel? And going back to the lying by omission um, concept and the don't ask, don't tell, I like to you know try to relate some of these things to the experience of grief because we are on a healing path and we're trying to build this path. And the best way to to pave our healing path is to learn as much as we can about others who have, you know, maybe been through something similar. Um, obviously, we've been dying for a long time. So humans have experience with this. We just don't chat about it. Um, but taking this example into a grief situation for, for um, the purpose of this conversation, let's just imagine that I came home from work and someone in my household said, hey, how was your day? And I might have said, fine. But I might not have shared that at a lunch meeting, someone specifically asked me, hey, how many kids do you have and how old are they? And that may have sent me, you know, into the ladies room that may have set me back later in my day. Um, as I've gotten older, I've learned how to keep that poker face. But again, lying by omission, if I come in the, the house at the end of the day, and something like that has really upset me, I'm not doing anyone a service by not sharing it. Because if someone is asking me the question, how was your day? Even if, you know, they know that I'm grieving, they know I'm getting back into my life after I've lost someone or something. And they're waiting to just hear, you know, what my experience is. And if I don't volunteer, then they're going to miss, you know, kind of what's gone on with me in that particular day. And that's okay sometimes. And we don't have to share everything. But if we share nothing, then we become even more isolated in our experience. What we want to be able to do is say, yes, this thing happened. It was hard. I feel okay about it now. I'm so glad to be home. Um, you know, this is how I handled it. Or next time I'll handle it this way. But when someone's grieving, you know, make sure that you're asking them, what's it like? Don't ask if they're okay because they're going to say they're fine. We have really no um, language or very limited language to express the grief process and what that's like. And because it's an individual experience, it's even tougher to be present to people. But we can assume, and I'm going on a limb here for myself, but I feel like I can assume if I ask someone how they're doing, particularly if they've lost you know, a partner or a child or a friend or a home or 
you know, a relationship even or a job, when you ask how they're doing and they say, fine, I'm okay, um, you really haven't gotten to know anything more than you did five minutes ago before you asked the question. So just as we're talking with our young people and in the example of the, the blog post, we want to just be a little bit more creative and questioning. So if I know that I'm going to break bread, say, with someone that lost a loved one in the last year, I'm going to try not to ask how they're doing. And I'm going to try to ask questions more along the line of what their experience is. Questions like, what is it like for you? How are you managing? How do you get through the day in your home without your partner when you were married for 50 years? How do you walk by your child's room knowing that they'll never be there again? Asking these questions necessarily um, lets the person who's grieving know that you know a little bit about grief, not their situation necessarily, but it's a way to to kind of um, be present to them and leave them less alone. Now, if I ask you, how is it to walk by your child's room and not have them um, any chance of them ever being in it again, and you're the grieving person, you may think, what the hell are you talking about? I'm not having that conversation. And I might say, yeah, well, I'm doing the best I can. Then I'm the one that gets to decide where that conversation goes as the person that's in grief. So we can take our cues from others. All I'm suggesting is that we don't ask people if they're fine or if they're okay or if their school day was fine or okay, because what we're going to get as an answer is fine or okay. And somewhere between the question and that canned answer is probably something material. And it's probably something that we would all benefit from being able to discuss. So encourage the people that you're around while also, um, you know, digging deep for your own courage to show up not only to ask these types of questions, but to be able to answer them and to be able to give some detail. And as you become more comfortable with your new status, whether it's, you know, someone that you lost years ago or just recently, it doesn't matter. What we have to do is get really comfortable and say, yeah, you know, I'm okay, but I got to tell you every day, I just, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Or, um, you know, I'm feeling better than I was a couple months ago, but I just, I feel very isolated or I'm not looking forward to the holidays or, you know, just offering a little bit more information when we're answering questions also can ignite that conversation to go a little bit further. So, you know, I'm all about connection and I do think that that is the healing bomb that we all seek. So any chance we have to get to know more about each other's experience, I think is going to go a long way in helping us heal. So I do thank you for listening to this episode of the Healing Path podcast. And I love to hear your feedback. If anything stood out or questions or comments you might have, please go to lisamcfarland.com and share any thoughts you may have in the comments. And until we meet again, let's do our best to stay present, to stay grateful, and to stay healing. And as always, I thank you so much for listening.